the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lund. And me, Rob Davis. And today we have a superb episode for you guys. Uh, we are going to be diving in to the penultimate chunk, or chunklet, if you will, uh, of Grave Peril. But before that, uh, we're going to do a little bit of power networking. Um, now, we've been doing a couple of questions the last uh, few weeks, but before we get to our question for today, uh, Jim has actually put something out there into the into the ether of the internet, uh, and that is his Inktober write-up. Uh, this is a great uh, post uh, if you're into your Dresden Files art in particular. Uh, Jim's done uh, a roundup of various different Inktober submissions that he has been given or sent, including, uh, but not limited to, uh, the some of the werewolves, uh, Kincaid, uh, we've got Villananchi, we've got Bianca, we've got Michael. Um, my personal favourite is Lashiel's, as she's kind of like uh, recumbent on a sofa. Uh, but then if, if you look at the outline of it, the outline is of a brain uh, to represent her kind of being in Harry's psyche. Uh, so, yeah, it's some really, really great pieces of art. Um, and then uh, the the artists have even had a crack at some of the more out there characters like the Outsiders, uh, as out there as you can get, really. Um, and, and far more. Uh, also on there, we've got the Goodreads Choice Awards. Uh, where Jim has been nominated uh, on the shortlist for Best Fantasy Category. Uh, you can go and vote for him, as me and Rob are planning to, uh, to support him uh, in getting the Best Fantasy Book of 2020 from Goodre uh, the Goodreads Choice Awards, which is something that I think we can all agree he very much deserves. Um, yeah, that's really checking with Jim at the moment. Uh, I think there are, is going to be a bit more to come from him uh especially uh he's already asked for a dresden themed halloween costumes so really cool to see when they come out and uh there's some really talented people in the dresden files community so i'm really interested to see especially with the new books where they take it and uh with costume and cosplay and all that wonderful stuff Okay, so that brings us to our para-networking question. And uh, Rob, do you want to introduce the question this week? Yes, this week's question, and what I'll do is I'll read out the question, and we've had a few responses to it, so I'll read those out as well. Um, the question is, what is your favourite moment in the Dresden Files series? Cool. Yep. Um, um and I posted so this, this is out. not necessarily like the best book. This is just like the best singular moment. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, also, I'll read these out now so it gives you time to think. Um, I posted this it out is. as well on uh, the social media channels. And I'll read out the ones on Twitter and then you can speak and I'll go to the Facebook page real quick and see if there's anything. Um because clearly I forgot we had a Facebook page. Um, so the first tweet is from uh, Dave the Sarcastic, and his favourite moment is Harry and Butters riding Sue 
because Polka will never die. That's, I mean, when you said uh, favourite moment, that was one that kind of came to mind. Is, uh, is it weird that as, as much as I love that moment, books. I always forget like that book exists. And I, I don't know if that's, again, because I always read like that chunk of the series in really quick succession. I just always forget about it. Mm. But absolutely great, great pick. Fantastic pick. Um, the next one's from Magpie. Uh, trying not to give away any spoilers, but when Harry completes the Bloodline Curse ritual and changes, it is both the best and worst bit for me. That is maybe one of the the biggest moments in the series, to be sure. Um, totally. I can one hundred percent see, yeah, uh, why you'd like that, why that would be a big moment for you. And the last one, I think it's the last one on Twitter at the moment. Yeah, last one on Twitter is from uh, Free Key Fighting. Uh, the fight with Victor Sales in Stormfront. It wasn't the most important moment in the series, but it hooked me into reading the whole series. And yeah, I can get behind that. I think um, in the last episode, I think we ranked, well, of the first three books, I think we ranked Victor Sales as maybe the best of the uh, villains. And I was, I know it got me rethinking Definitely. about it again. So I think that's a really good choice. I think of the uh, of the options, it's um, probably the uh, yeah. I think of the options of the first three books, I I definitely think that it's probably uh, Victor Sells is the best of the villains. Just mostly because we understand his how he thinks a bit more than the others. Kravos and uh, the FBI werewolves, I think, are a bit more uh, straightforward mm. in one way because there's a lot more else. There's a lot else going on with the plots in both their books. Um, so yeah, yeah, completely agree. Fantastic. And switching over to Facebook, uh, we have a comment from Michael. I apologise if I pronounce this wrong. Uh, Tobacco, and his favourite moment was when Wally, Wally, when Molly shows up at Demon Reach during the battle with Sharkface. Again, another really solid moment. Yeah, there's quite a lot to pick from. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. I think if Jim has proven anything with Battleground. Uh, and uh, Peace Talks is that he is superb at putting together these kind of cinematic moments uh, and yeah that, that moment where Molly rocks up and she is all uh, has like all of her potential uh, ready to go and she is ready to lay down some serious power uh, it is extremely cool definitely um, and then I guess our answers. Do you want to go first, or? Yeah, sure. So um, my uh, my answer is the entire finale of Ghost Story, uh, where we see uh, Molly fighting Corpse Taker within her mind. Um, something that I've I've always loved has been. 
kind of fights on the astral plane or like mental fights where um, the participants are able to like kind of morph reality around them and stuff. A really, really good example of this is in the first X-Men Legends game. Uh, you could play a, like a fight on the astral plane where you played as Xavier, Jean Grey, Emma Frost and Psylocke. Um, and Xavier, instead of being like a guy in a wheelchair, was an absolutely like ripped gladiator dude because he's like a, a mental titan kind of thing. Um, so that that was extremely cool. Um, and and I, it kind of made me think of all of that uh, as Molly's fighting the corpse taker. She's conducting a battle from her treehouse, which is where her and Harry first met. And inside the treehouse, she has repurposed it to look like the command bridge of the Enterprise, um, which, of course, is just incredible by itself. Uh, but we get Spock, Kirk, Bones, versions of Molly, um, which is great. Uh, and uh, Jim does a really nice thing here of working in a lot of different references to Star Trek series and other stuff that Molly and Harry both love uh, as she's fighting. Um, and that's one of the things I love about Justin Files is, is the nerdiness of it. Jim is, is unashamedly a nerd and likes to kind of bask in it. And that scene with Molly is definitely him basking in it. At the same time, and I will throw out a spoiler alert now. Um, so if you haven't read Ghost Story, stop now. Uh, at the same time, Molly's... Uh, the other thing I love about Jim Butcher mm. is his flair for melodrama and the dramatic. And the big reveal that happens during that battle uh, as Harry is trying to f go, go through the doors at the back of the bridge um, and Molly's counterparts are trying to stop him or turn him away from it. And then he gets through there and then he finds out that Molly Carpenter is the one that killed him. Um, that is a really powerful moment of uh, inter interpersonal drama, melodrama, um, and it's a big development point, not just for Harry, but also for Molly as a character, um, as Harry basically has to forgive his apprentice for something that he commanded her to do. Mm. Um, it's it's pretty intense. Um, so yeah, that's that's my favourite moment of the Dresden Files so far. Uh, how about yourself, Rob? Um, I have two as well. Um, the first one is the battle at uh, Itza in Changes, uh, when the Grey Council rock up, led by Ebenezer Blackstaff, and you know he's the, he summons the Blackstaff, and just the description of it was just kind of like. Because I think at that, up until this point, we were only told how powerful the White Council are and how how badass they are, and it was it was pretty yeah. cool to finally get to see that being shown. Um, Fully agreed. Yeah, and I think I know it's yeah yeah I'm gonna go with um my second one being in Skin Game where Harry has a conversation with Hades. And I think that's purely because up until this point, I don't know about you, but I was led to believe that um, Hades would be like one of the massive set pieces, like action set pieces. 
because I thought like he was going to pop up and just everyone's going to yeah. have to try and like bring him down or distract him in some kind of way. I was not expecting it to be like what we got and the kind of reveal behind that. That's something I really like about Jim's work in general is um, he's very good at subverting expectations. Yeah. I think it's because, yeah, again, cause he's a nerd. He knows what nerds think is going to happen, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. So I think that's really the kind of our big, uh, our favorite moments. Um, just to add a, add another one in then. Uh, favorite character, like, B character moments, so like a background character's moment. Um, I'll give you a moment to think as I, as I, as I share mine, but I really think um, one of the big strengths of Jim's work is that he has, he plays with the background characters of his universe and they grow and they change and um, a character that only appeared briefly for in a few books or didn't appear at all can then have a very leading role in other books. Um, so my favorite, one of my favorite character moments uh, actually comes from the next book that we'll be doing summer nights, uh, which is the first time that Billy, the alpha is taken into uh, Undercity, the, uh, the mystical kind of other world, the, the Diagon Alley kind of facsimile of Chicago um and he basically realizes for the first time he's out of his depth um billy is i mean we are told all the way through that he is nerdy and he's quite short and a bit stumpy but he is truly in in every possible way uh an alpha uh and to be this this kind of macho wolfman uh, and then to realize that you are, you're nothing to the powers that are being, that are at play around you. Um, definitely seems to have an effect on Billy and it's, he becomes a, a lot more wary in later books because of it. And that's something that I really enjoyed. Um, but I think a, a lot of characters get great moments. Um, I mean, Michael Carpenter is, my one of my favorite characters and even just in grave peril uh him losing and reclaiming amarachius um i think is is a great story for michael carpenter mm. um and i've always thought that the reason that jim never did a, a spin-off for michael carpenter uh even though a lot of fans have suggested it to him uh is that i think he kind of used the plot that he would use for a spin-off in grave peril i mean the knight of the sword losing his sword and have to reclaim it i think that would be a very jim plot to put michael through um and he's already done it so i i think that would be my theory as to why he's never gone for it um yeah rob do you have a favorite character moment oh man again like there's just so many to choose from um I know, like I, I've struggled to really come up with one in between that, but I think I'm gonna just go ahead and pick Murphy, and that's 
I mean, we'll, we'll go into it with each book, I expect. But if you look at the previous two books where it's kind of like they have that working relationship, but you can kind of get the impression that she's a bit of a skeptic when it comes to like all this magic kind of shit. Like it's all like smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how it develops from, I think, the next book as well, like same similar with uh, Billy. That world kind of, I guess, I guess she kind of represents the audience experiencing all these new things and how big the magical world and communities actually are. And yeah, the fact that it doesn't, like, I, th- I think it's hinted at in Battleground where like just all the other regular people in Chicago are exposed to all of this, and some of them, in fact, I think it's mentioned like people like Rudolph, for example, who sees like a werewolf right in front of yeah. him like transform murder a bunch of people and run off again and he's just he just refuses to believe it's real and then you've got Murphy by contrast who like kind of just just rolls with it and I think that's just really I mean I can't remember a specific moment where it's really focusing on that in the series but I I'm gonna say at the moment that it's quite underplayed where we are in the series Definitely. Um, I think it is the next one uh, where they fight like a. It's, a. it's like a kind of plant monster. Yeah, I, it always reminded me of um, Little Shop of Horrors. And Harry's getting a bit overwhelmed yeah. by it, and she like rocks up with a chainsaw or something stupid. Yeah, that, that was the first moment where I was like, okay, Murphy can step up to this. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, really good pick. Um, cool. So let's head over to our book club, the Dresden Files book club. Uh, as we do every week, we will do the last couple of chapters uh, that we covered in our previous episode, uh, just to refresh you all, uh, and then we will dive in to the penultimate section of the book uh, that we will be covering. Uh, so, I just, give me my notes, um, okay, so, last time on the Dresden Files, uh, we covered chapter 29, uh, chapters 29, 30, 31, and 32. In chapter 29, we saw Bianca giving gifts out to the various guests that were at her uh, ball. She gave Ferrovax something unseen for his hoard. She then beckons Thomas up. Uh, while Thomas is away, Justine begs with Harry for help and explains that Bianca is angry that Thomas took Justine instead of her. Thomas is given a villa in Hawaii and a single ticket to fly on a plane that evening. Uh, Harry then goes up and is given a plot in Graceland Cemetery with a tombstone reading, he died trying to do the right thing. Uh, Leah the Lenonchi is also given something secretly but returns the gift by giving Amarachius to Bianca who she in turn gives to Mavra to break it by killing Lydia uh, from earlier in the book. Uh, Harry realises that everything has been a setup and it all rests on whether he will let Amarachius be broken and Lydia an innocent die. If Amarakis is used to kill Lydia because she is an innocent, uh, it will break the blade and make it useless. 
Harry decides he ain't letting that happen. Chapter 30, a fight breaks out. Harry, Michael, Susan, Thomas and Justine against everyone else at the ball. Harry and Michael are able to rescue Lydia and Amarakius. Bianca gets Justine and uses her to blackmail Thomas into turning on Harry and capturing Susan, literally kicking Susan into the vamps. Harry gets angry and channels his rage into fire magic, setting Bianca's house ablaze. Harry and Michael try to escape and are aided by Leah, the nonshe. Harry then passes out. Michael awakens Harry in his apartment. He and Harry talk about what happened. The fire messed everything up, so the mortal firefighters don't see any vampires. Harry and Michael start to work out how they were set up, and Harry believes it's still not over. Thomas arrives, and both Harry and Michael attack him for turning on them. Thomas explains that Justine and Susan have been taken to the basement beneath Bianca's mansion, and that he is planning to raid it. Lydia wakes up, possessed by the nightmare, and attacks Harry. Michael goes to attack the nightmare, but Harry works out that it would also break the knight's sword. Again, can't kill uh, uh, innocence with it. Uh, Harry tries to bind the demon, but is unable to. Thomas then intervenes, seducing the demon, and Harry is able to pull off a binding directed at Leonard Kravros. Lydia is saved, and Thomas tries to free her, and Thomas tries to feed upon her. Uh, however, Harry and Michael stop him, thank goodness. Three decide to attack Bianca's from the Nonella using Bob as a guide. While crossing the Nonella, they are stopped by Leah and her hound. Whew! That is a meaty couple of chapters. Rob, do you want to take it away from there? Yep, because it's only going to get meatier. Cool. Mm-hmm. Chapter 33. Understandably, we uh, kick off where we left off. Um, as the Lianchi approaches, Michael and Thomas shower Harry in aluminum nails. Um, this distracts Leia with the ruse of it being iron. Um, you know, iron and the fairies, it's not a good mix. Um, this distraction allows Harry to eat something, which is his contingency plan, I suppose. And then both him and Thomas begin to bait Leia into taking Dresden, enslaving him as one of her dogs. Um, Leah, through the power of smell, deduces that Harry has consumed a poisonous mushroom, giving him approximately two minutes before he begins to die. At which point Michael reveals that he has something called St. Mary's Thistle, which is used as a cure for this poison. Um, Leah demanding that, you know, Michael hands this over, she realises that she can't accept gifts from mortals. And she must bargain with Harry, um, with Michael, for Harry's life. Harry's deal to this is that Leah leaves him be for one year and one day in exchange for a cure. Uh, at this point, Leah is pretty, pretty much failing to understand why Harry is willing to sacrifice himself and even risk death to save those who need him. Must be a human thing. Um, in any case, Leah accepts the bargain, and allows them to kind of go about their business um, until she gets like a safe enough distance away to betray them where she makes it very clear that there are other entities within the Never Never that owe her a debt and that as she can't claim Dresden herself, these other entities can and all this fairy shit starts coming out you know, like trees coming to life and stuff and once again our trio of heroes need to kind of peg it <laughs> 
um, realizing that they can't totally outrun this because they've already been running like in the previous chapter away from uh, Leah and the Hounds. Um, Dresden comes up with a plan, which is Thomas and Michael hold off the Fae until Harry manages to escape out of the Never Never. Um, Harry succeeds, but unfortunately for him, the entrance that he goes through into Bianca's mansion ends up being directly in the middle of a circle of red court vampires. Bianca was expecting them, expecting him this entire time. Um, and she declares that dun, Harry dun. is <laughs> she declares that Harry is captured, and the vampires begin to feed upon him, and that ends chapter thirty three. Chapter thirty four. Okay. The fun doesn't stop. Harry has another dream, which re which is of his father reassuring him that he's okay. And I mean, we'll go into it actually in the breakdown. Um. He wakes up from this dream, and he's very much not okay. He is. He wakes up. He's naked. He's in pain, and he's shrouded in darkness. Um, it takes a moment for his vision to adjust in that. In well, I say in that light, in the lack of light, I suppose. But he finds that he's not alone in his cell. He's also with Justine, who is no longer her calm, collected self, and she. She's a bit all over the place. I think she lashes out at Dresden at one point and like tries to scratch him. Maybe she even succeeds. But in this little scuffle, Harry notices that the Red Court have also been feeding on her. Um, at which point, Harry hears a whisper behind him in the darkness, and he sees a ghostly female form in the room. And it's, it's well-dressed, crusted in blood, and it is revealed to be Rachel, who died previously in Stormfront. Um, Bianca kept her ghost here, binded to this room, as a kind of way to get a kick out of it, um, and fuel her vengeance for blaming Harry for her death. Um, at this point, Kravos communicates to Dresden through Justine, which is uh, pretty freaky. Um, he reveals that because of, I, I mean, I, I always assumed it was because of the uh, poisonous mushroom that his blood is tainted, by the way. But um, in any case, his blood is tainted and it makes the Reds feel ill. And that is the only reason why he's alive at the moment. Um, Kravos yeah. also drops in the mention that he was the one who called them about Agatha Hagglethorn at the start of the book. Or just prior, moments prior to the start of the book. Um Justine is able to take back control temporarily, and she begins to weep, weeping that she'll never see Thomas again. And Harry, being Harry, he he like how do I word this? Cradles her, I guess, embraces her, hugs her. Mm -hmm. A reassuring hug is, is what we're getting at here. Uh, reassures her that you know Thomas is probably fine. All the while, he's wondering to himself if Thomas and Michael are even alive. Um. And then once again, how big is this room? Something else stirs in the shadows. Um, Harry's trying to make out what it is and starts going towards it. And at this point, Justine's urging him, leave it, leave it alone. You, you won't like what you see. Um, Harry moves all these bloody rags and like torn up clothes. And it's revealed that it's Susan. She is hot with a fever, sensitive to light, and her eyes are completely black. Susan has begun to change into a red court vampire. Chapter Ooh. 35. 
Dresden brushes his arm against Susan's mouth. He doesn't like and just casually brush it against her. It's like while he's helping her up, her, like his arm brushes against her mouth. Um, this causes her to freeze, and she kind of begins to like kind of go to bite him. And it it reminds me of um. It reminds me a bit of a child, like a like a toddler, like that you tell you tell them like you don't touch it, and they'll kind of look at you. But while they're looking at you, they continue to do it. <laughs> it really reminded me of that a bit, but with you know vampires, I guess. Um, mm. Harry backs away, and Susan begins kind of, I, I guess, crawling or walking towards him, and she's like, oh, "I'm so hu- I'm hung- hungry," and it, it's really it's really creepy and unpleasant. But she, as she's doing this, she comes across one of the uh, blood-soaked like rags that are in the room, and she just starts licking that, as you do. Um, Justine explains that her transformation isn't complete until she kills and feeds on them. Um, to this, Justine also suggests that they kill her first, which I think is pretty reasonable. But Harry is not up for that because that's his girlfriend. God damn it. Um. And at this point, Harry comes up with a plan to restore Susan's memories. He remembers that their soul gaze um, is... I can't remember how it's worded, the soul gaze. Like, you can't forget something like that. I think it's implied. So the best thing yeah, that... I, I mean, um, like it, it connects to you on such like a deep level. Yeah. Like nothing to get in the way. Yeah, pretty much. Um, he, he deduces that but Leanne would not have been able to take those memories away, merely cover them up. So he starts by reassuring Susan, like telling her, you are Susan Rodriguez. And I mean, she's kind of like a bit baffled and confused by this. But then Harry busts Mm. out his uh, declaration of love, which is an attempt to bring her back. And while he's doing this, he's performing a bit of a ritual to kind of uncover the spell that was left upon her by Delianchi. And it's not until... I mean, she's she's making attempts to, like, try and feed off of him at this point. Yeah. It's not until the declaration of love that she is, like, springs back to her usual self, memories intact and everything. And she is distraught. She apologises to Harry. She's, oh, I tried to fight the vampires off, but they still fed on me and now now all i have is this never ending hunger like will it go away um and at this point harry like he's pissed man and he formulates this plan and the plan is that it's quite straightforward he's just going to fall asleep and await kravos in his dreams and then we roll on to the last chapter of this week chapter 36 as it turns out kravos is awaiting harry in his dream and very Freddy Krueger-like here. Um, Kravos claims that he's going to enjoy torturing Harry until Bianca arrives. And he begins to, you know, punch, beat, choke. All of those things he's doing to Harry, which is, you know, not, not very pleasant. Um, and then someone comes to save Harry. And it's not who you might expect. It's Harry. That's right. We meet another form of what we think at the start of this is uh, Harry's subconscious from the previous book is what one, was what my mind jumped to, but then it's revealed that this this copy of Harry is Harry's ghost, and Harry reveals that 
in the real world, he died for one minute before being um, resuscitated. And I think it's to do with his, uh, with being a wizard, um, that this allows his shade to hang around a little bit longer. Um, again, I can't remember the exact wording here, but in any case, the two Harrys just start wailing on Kravos, beating the shit out of him, and Kravos is like, what, what kind of magic is this? And Harry's like, don't you get it? I'm a wizard. That's how I can do this. You're just some two-bit dork who reads a bit of magic here and there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Harry kind of mimicking uh, the Harry using the wolf belt in the last book. Um, Harry kind of becomes this weird spiritual like, creature and begins tearing at Kravos. And he tears him completely mm. to pieces and gets his own back. In the process of doing this, he consumes like the stolen power of his. And not only does he regain his stolen magic, he regains... Well, I say he regains, he never had it in the first place. He steals what is left of Kravos's own power. The anger, the wild, and the fury. Um, <clears throat> and at this point... Levels up a bit more. Yeah, level up. Um, at this yeah. point, I think the ghost makes a weird comment here, where he's just like, that's a bit freaky and weird, you should stop. Um, and yeah, like... <laughs> He, he kind of fades out after doing his job, and then Harry awakes, and he's, he's completely high as shit off the power, and who wouldn't be? Proper adrenaline rush, and he tells, like, does the badass thing of, like, he turns to Justine and Susan, and he's like, get ready, we're leaving. And as he tries to open the door, who who should come through but our, our favourite duo of Red Court vampires, Kyle Hamilton and Kelly Hamilton. And they are warped, they're like fleshy human masks are like completely warped and twisted by the explosion. And they pin Dresden to a wall and they're here to get their own back, promising the debt that they, uh, <laughs> promising what they promised in the previous chapters, that they're going to finish him off once and for all. <laughs> but this time, it's for real. Yeah, this this time they mean it. <laughs> And that that is where we wrap up these chapters. So, um, what did you think? Wow. Um, hell of a lot going on here. And it's really the, the lowest point for Dresden, uh, in this story. The moment when the vampires take him and he is brought into this cell and he sees Justine... Rachel and then Susan uh it's just a triple hit of harrowing despair mm. uh until he gets that like high point um the first thing that really got me was um my partner Amy actually pointed out that the scene where the vampires get him uh and he comes out of the portal um it seems to be an act of sexual violence um uh the way that it's written i i did not pick up on it i think it is quite subtle. i mean that definitely that makes sense described. i mean if you look at what the vampire just represents yeah. throughout most books i mean um and royce's uh vampire chronicles for example it's used as a lot of um allegory for homosexuality and i think i think aids as well 
it's meant to re like not represent as such. No, um, that was sorry, the Dark Tower, the vampires in uh, Salem's Lot and uh, Father Callahan, where like you know the vampires they by they, they bleed into like the mouths to create the vampires, and it's kind of it, it kind of represents a um sexually transmitted disease, and that's how that's very much what it was going for in the Dark Tower at least. Uh, what was the color? I think. Yeah. Uh, definitely, and and um, I I actually think it rereading it. I think I think it is depicting that, and yeah. um, I I think it's really it's at least rare in the fiction that I've read to come across an act of sexual violence perpetrated by a female to a male and not the other way around. Mm. Which is not to say that, that doesn't happen. Just say it's not very well represented, um, and I think it it it's something rare and and kind of admirable for Jim to try and tackle, uh, and the way that he talks about Harry after he he basically talks about how he feels gross and kind of used up and thrown away in the dark mm. um, and I think uh, that's a really it's a really interesting experience for a character to go through um, yeah I, I once my, my partner pointed that out and, and I saw it it really uh, I think it's really admirable that Jim Jim tackled that. Um, yeah. So past that, uh, the the rest of the the chapters. Um, so the whole facing off with Leah, I felt was done very well. Um, I think fairies in general are done uh, very well in Dresden verse, playing on their kind of otherworldly alien rules and twisting them back on them. Um, and playing at their own game, mm. uh, and it felt like a very Harry Dresden plan to ingest poison to get out of a deal. Absolute. Um, I think we saw like the spectrum of his allies there, as we saw kind of Bob's purely logical. Well, Harry, if you told me sooner, I could have come uh, come up with a better plan than this. Uh, and Michael's very lawful, good understanding exactly why Harry did what he did, just being like, Harry, come on, we need to get going. Uh, and then Thomas, at this point, being chaotic neutral-ish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, just completely not understanding why Harry would almost kill himself for the chance to save innocent lives and to escape to slip his uh, godmother's kind of evil machinations. Um, so yeah, I, absolutely incredible. Um, how did you find it? I really enjoyed it because, I mean, the they are really only introduced in this book, and it feels it feels like in each appearance we have with them, we get a new like layer or set of rules that they abide by um and no, i don't know like 
Well, in the next book, for, for example, I know that we get uh, the introduction of a lot of the fairy courts and stuff like that. And we also get <laughs> more more of the uh, lore and mythology, I guess, on that world. But it, it turns out we're just scratching the surface of it here with uh, the Lianchi and her <laughs> weird-ass set of rules. But it's something that I really enjoy and look forward to going forward. Um, and I especially like how it was handled here as well. Like, like you said, I I can't remember. If, did they did they know that she couldn't accept gifts? Uh, they knew that because from Bianca's party where yes, of she was given a gift, she then she then had to give an, a gift back. Yeah, she presented that, um Amarakis first, didn't she? She did. Yes. Interesting. It's weird how I didn't pick up on that when we read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something that I like, and especially how you have to be extremely specific. Like the whole thing of, um, oh, I, I totally agree that I won't attack you. And then when they get a certain distance, she's like, oh, by the way, these guys owe me a favor and they're going to attack you instead. So it's kind of like, um, I know, like you know, in like action films and stuff, where they're like, "Oh yeah, like I don't worry, I promise I won't kill you," and then like they just leave like the guy tied up in the middle of a desert, and then he gets eaten by a snake or something, and then the and the guy's like, "Oh, yeah. you said you wouldn't leave me." He's like, "That's not part of the deal. I said I wouldn't kill you." It's very, yes. it, it's yeah. very like that, like the wording of it. I think, uh, yeah, that uh, we just don't see fairies depicted much in modern uh, fantasy, so it's it's very in, it's you basically have to kind of lawyer them, which I think is very cool. Mm. Um, yeah, the other thing I really liked about the fairy section was when they were leaving the fairy section, or when Dresden was leaving the fairy section. Uh, the book did something that almost felt, I think you'll know what I mean here, but uh, it almost felt like a, a a series with a low budget that thinks that it might get a better budget. <laughs> yeah, I know the bit you mean. That... <laughs> like, basically, Dresden is running away from the, from the fairies and stuff, and we don't get a description of the fairies at all. We just hear, like, the trees moving, the grass moving the feeling of creatures coming, but we don't actually see what they are at all. Um, and I feel like it, it's Jim almost living, leaving himself room to grow. Um, something that I think Jim Butch does really well is he creates holes in his world so that he can fill them in later books. Mm. Um, we only get briefest descriptions of what uh, the Never Never looks like. We only... Um, quite often when we first meet a character it's away from whatever their home is uh, or their like sanctum or whichever place in the world reflects them so that we can be shown that at a later time um, and I think part of the reason for this is that it it creates mystery for the reader as well I mean if we yeah. were given an atlas of the Dresden Files Chicago with the first Stormfront book we'd probably be bored with it by the time we got to Summer Night um, or I don't know, a few books in anyway. Um, whereas there is still places to learn about. There's still settings that we've not been to. Um, 
and that means that each book can offer us something just a little bit more, just a little bit more um, that we want to we want to see or we want to find out about. And I think the Never Never is a place that we are shown many times, and each time we see it, we learn a little bit more about the inhabitants. But we also see another place um, from another. Uh, view or another angle um, which is really exciting and, and it's something that I love as a reader of the Ghost and Files, definitely. Very much the same. Sorry, I'm waffling. That's alright. <laughs> Waffle away. Um, yeah. The... Where should we go next? Uh, the moment when Harry brings Susan back to her senses. How did you find that? I quite liked that because, I mean, obviously we have the start of the book with um, the conversation between Harry and Michael, and Michael's like, "Oh, well, do, do you love her? Because because if you do, you you should probably tell her and then marry her." And Harry's like, "Oh, yeah, but it's not yeah. as it's not as simple as that. Like it's like um, a bit of a teen drama vibe to it, I guess. Um, yeah, and I like that you get a payoff." from that like i think if i remember right i think susan says it to him earlier in the book and he's just kind of like thank you <laughs> it's either, either way his reaction to it just made it a bit awkward but um yeah it's it's cool that the, the classic star you i know yeah <laughs> damn right um yeah it's 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 very like that and then it's cool that once she loses her memory, even temporarily, it's it's used as a device to bring her back. And I think, again, like we had, what was it, the power of circles and the power of names and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's a good display of the power of emotions as well. Um, specifically love, obviously. Um, yeah, and that's what I that's what I like about it. Again, it's it's giving that whole like how how everything holds its like a certain power, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the power of love is something. Uh, I mean, it's a bloody good a song. Different... I'll add that in. <laughs> the power of, and that's all we can use of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the. Uh... <laughs> it don't take money. Um, I think the power of love. Don't take same things that we've. You don't need a credit card to ride this train. Oh my god. That's fun. Uh, I I think I was thinking of a different song to you. I know the one that you're thinking of now. Which is the <laughs> That's the power of love. Bum, bum. No, we can use that one. Yeah. Uh, but I was thinking the power of love. Um, and that one. I'm well, not, I'm it doesn't ring any bells at the moment. Is. Send it to me afterwards if you can. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, it's something that fantasy work has touched upon many times, uh, um, and I, I think something that the Dresden Files does really well is it incorporates all these different kind of ideas and love being a kind of power in itself is something that comes from more recent traditions and beliefs. Um, and similar to like religion being a power alongside magic and and the way that uh, the power of faith that Michael has, um, I think he's done really well. And it's these kind of like subtle 
get extremely powerful powers that only work um, when all the stars align and everything goes in the right place. Um, like, I like that the power of love here isn't something that Harry could just break out on anyone and save them from whatever magical effect or cancel out anything. He can't just claim to love Justine and then she's fine suddenly. Um, <laughs> it, it has to be earned. And I think that's something that's done uh, very well here and, and has been done well in other places. Um, yeah. So, so we kind of covered Susan, we covered the catcher, we covered the, the never, never. Uh, so the last bit, Harry dunking on Kravos. Uh, yes. Absolutely incredible. Um, and such a moment of pathos and such a reversal. Once Harry's in that absolute low point, this is the start of the fight back. This is the turning point of the book. Um, and God, you can feel it. Um, how did you find the situation with the, the two Harrys, Rob? Um, I mean, it, it, I both like and dislike it. Because at first I thought it was his subconscious again, like when he had that weird conversation with himself in the second book, which was just really weird and felt out of place. But I liked that it was his yeah. um, ghost. But I I feel at the same time it was a bit too convenient. Like it was a kind of like oh shit, no one can see him in his dream. So uh, and then just kind of pulled it out of his ass, you know. Yeah, I uh, so I, I I feel very similar to you. I love that Dresden is getting is fighting back, but I think it just I don't think there's been there was enough kind of groundwork there. No, I think maybe the better way to have gone about it is, and I, I feel this one's more <laughs> absolutely overblown in a sense is um with it being Harry's dream, have him have control over it, which I guess is what they do in Nightmare on Elm Street to an extent, where they're like, oh, it's my dream, so you're fucked. Yeah. But I, I, I feel, I feel that, that would have made, made much more sense than... I don't know. I, I Like I say, I both like it and I dislike it at the same time. Yeah, I... I I think I agree. I think maybe if there'd been something about because Harry was like conflicted in himself about how he felt about Susan and stuff and now that he's sure about his emotions there that gives him more inner power and control over his own subconscious or something. Mm. Um, I could have even seen that as being tying those that plot point to the, the main kind of uh, battle. Uh, would have been would have been a cool thing, but I'm not going to take away from it. It's it is a great moment in itself. Um, it's a great victory, um, and while it maybe maybe the, the the logic isn't there, the the visual of two Harry Dresdens beating the shit out of Leonard Kravos is very fun and very like Bugs Bunny Bugs Bunny prankstery. Um, so, I like that. I like Same. that a lot. 
All right. Uh, I think that pretty much covers it for this week. We didn't have we didn't have lots to break into. There's a lot that goes on, but um, I think that's that's pretty much it. Is there anything else that you want to throw in on, Rob? Not really. I was going to bring up uh, Harry regaining his power, but I feel that's maybe a point to pick up in the next chapter. Hmm. Yeah, the, there are still a few great twists and turns as we come towards the end of Grey Peril. Ooh, so I yeah. think, uh, really, we should just power on to that one. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys next week for that. Rob, do you want to take us out? Uh, yeah, next week, we'll, like Pat says, we'll be wrapping up Grey Peril. That is chapters 37 to 39. Um, basically the start of the next chapter until you run out of pages um yeah and i, I guess thank you for all the support again uh we've crossed 2800 downloads which is nothing short of a miracle given uh the circumstances and how much of a niche this is um yeah as always share it around tell your friends who are in you know into dresden files um follow and subscribe uh we're on spotify itunes podbean the rest of it um follow us on social media as well and say hello uh you can find us on facebook twitter uh instagram also drop us an email as well all of that's in the description um and yeah crack open a can of coke i guess because uh you've been listening to the paranet podcast with your hosts me rob davis and me patrick lund and we will see you next time thank you very much Bye bye Bye.